Hello and welcome to another new episode of the False Summit podcast. Today's a little bit different. We're going to dig into an individual subject. And this has come up because last year we ran a workshop or kind of like an evening conversation around the menopause, perimenopause and the experience of training around that. And it was very well received, but also started up a lot of conversations, especially among our members and new members who have started since then who have started to either experience symptoms um, of the perimenopause or are wondering how it's going to affect them and their training as they progress along that journey. So what we want to do is, in the form of a podcast, kind of solidify some of that information, um, what we chatted about on that workshop, but also kind of dig into um, the experience of one of our coaches, Els, um, and see if there's anything in there that would be helpful to you, the listener. All right? Um, we are sitting out in some glorious countryside, so there's some some ducks quacking away, and there's some cars going behind us, so that you're going to hear some interesting things there. But it's a it's a beautiful view, so uh, you're going to have to forgive us on that one. Um, and without further ado, let's introduce Els and let's get cracking. Hi, Rory. <laughs> hey, Els, how's it going? Good. Um, so we're gonna kind of jump straight in, and we're gonna kind of just really dig into your story um around menopause and it's both really kind of you to share this with us um and also kind of unusual because there's not really that much conversation um as well as there's not much research going on around this subject um so it's really awesome that you're able to do that with us um and just to clarify like this conversation is about ellie sharing her experience it does not constitute medical advice. Neither of us are doctors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the the kind of caveat with this is it's highly individual. Um, yeah. And that's something to really reinforce is that one person's uh, experience of menopause is not going to be the same as another person's. So um, don't necessarily look for everything to be exactly the same with every single person. Um, but this is just an opportunity to kind of delve into one individual's experience and hopefully that gives some great insight for other people. So, Els, did you have any preconceptions of what menopause or perimenopause would be like before you started to experience it yourself? I did, and I think that was part of the issue. I had a very vague idea that somewhere much later in life, uh, this short-term kind of potential manic period would occur but then it would pass and and move on that's basically what i had heard throughout my life i I think uh i've heard a lot of people say my mom got through it so i'll get through it i've heard that a lot yeah (laughs) (laughs) the funny thing is about the generation before us they weren't necessarily the best sort of talking about these things probably (laughs) well nor were they encouraged to in any way shape or form so um just to kind of i suppose clear up the terminology what do we mean by menopause again not being a doctor (laughs) (laughs) menopause is actually a very incredibly brief period of time where the transition occurs from perimenopause to postmenopause um and that is, um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the confusion is we just think of it all as menopause, but it's a significant difference between when, uh, 
a cycle ends for good. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it is very vague and that's kind of in some ways where the, I think some of the confusion you have this idea of it's very fun. It's like one thing, but it's, you know, I, um, I think when you look up the definition of menopause, it's like, it's the day that you finalize a year of not having a, a period. Cycle. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so it's, it's a bit late as a diagnosis. <laughs> You've already had a year. Yeah. And then you'd had all the years of perimenopause before that, which I'd never even heard the phrase. So I had no idea that it was a thing. Yeah. Um, and again, to increase the ambiguity, uh, perimenopause just means about menopause. <laughs> yeah. It means about the time of. Um, so it doesn't even necessarily, it's just like, it's around the time. Yeah. It's around then. And that could be one week could be five years uh the range the average range is five to 18 years yep yeah <laughs> it, it isn't just 20 hot flashes <laughs> it's not that would be great if it was <laughs> okay so before perimenopause arrived what did your training look like just to give some back background uh right before i was training at the most intense I probably had in years. I was training about six days a week, getting ready for um, Europeans and Worlds in Sweden. So it was um, probably about 18 months beforehand that I had started um, training more consistently while I was down in London and uh, got in with a, a good group of people that there was just always always a training session going on so it was easy to jump in somewhere and then um i went to i went to sweden and had the competition and genuinely within like a week of that um just really started noticing that i wasn't feeling great i wasn't feeling great physically or um mentally and i thought oh it's the come down from the competition you know, it's just, I've been building up for it for so long. And then other things, you know, were going on. I just always excused it out of hand. And then very shortly after that, I moved to Scotland. And that's when things really started going awry. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> I didn't know how to differentiate. There's such a major life change. I mean, we just up and moved to Scotland within three weeks of deciding to. It was a crazy time. So I thought, well, it's, it's the chaos of moving. And then I thought, it's a new house. I'm not sleeping well. I always, there just was always something to put it on. And then at one point, um, I was so, I was just so sleep deprived. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. Um, I had a lot of uh, insomnia and night sweats. And I started not being able to think clearly. And I just went to the doctor and said, I don't know what's going on. I'm really worried. And she genuinely laughed in a very kind and loving way. So I went, went but she, she just, she, to her, it was so obvious. And when she said it, I was like, well, but I'm only, you know, I, I'm not old enough. And she was like, you're in the prime time for it. And so then I started uh, trying to figure out what that meant. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I, you know, from, from my understanding, it's it, it, the variable symptoms that you can experience and the breadth of them 
means that it's re- it must be really hard to nail that down. It, yeah, absolutely. And um, the until you know to look for it, you have no idea. Um, and once you do start looking into it, it's quite intimidating. And there's so much. There's so much out there now, um, which is really different. Even in just the last year or so, it's becoming more of a conversation. But you really have to know good, trusted sources because it's very quickly become a, a monetized industry. And mm-hmm. if you're not careful with where you're getting your information, it can be really frightening and really expensive to treat <laughs> according yeah. to the tie, you know, whatever their product is. So, yeah. Um, I, I suppose like you were saying there that, you know, it was, it was after training, uh, after uh, sort of training for the competition and then you were coming mm-hmm. to Scotland. Um, what was the what was the catalyst for you definitely like being like i've got to go to the doctor it was the brain fog um i genuinely felt like i didn't i was starting to question my ability to be competent wow it was really um i've i've never struggled with a lot of these things i mean i I usually could fall asleep on a dime. As soon as I want to fall asleep, I could fall asleep. Um, I'm sure I have friends and family that would say that I've always been moody, (laughs) but I was exceptionally (laughs) moody and I could see it, but I couldn't stop it. And it was the weirdest feeling. I felt out of control and I've never felt that way in my life. Um, And I, I was at a complete loss for what to do. So, um, I did ask a friend, I sent out a note to a couple of people and, uh, <laughs> right afterwards and they're all like, Oh yeah, we could have told you that. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about this? And, and it was a group of women that I've known for a long time. And we've talked about a lot of stuff. Not a one of them had talked to each other about this and five of the seven women had gone through it, but they'd all gone through it alone. Why do you think that is? I think in part because you don't, you genuinely don't know it's happening until after the fact. Yeah. You don't get a, a name put to it sometimes until well into it or afterwards. The symptoms are so varied that you would, you know, one like you said one person's experience is, can be very different from another's when i walked through the list of the top 20 symptoms with my doctor i'd had 18 of them wow you'd really ticked off that list hadn't you? i yeah i like to be thorough when yeah. i do things i mean it's a shame you didn't get the last two but hey ho funny enough vertigo oh yeah who knew oh. um so I, I don't know. And it was interesting because I, when I was back in the States, I was talking with my friend and she goes, I had no idea until you told me. But I went through all of that period of time thinking I was losing my mind. And now, um, you know, they, they put her on antidepressants at the time. And afterwards, her doctor was like, no, we just needed to address the hormone issue. So anyway, um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I think there are still a lot of topics that we don't talk about, um, societally. Um, there are, um, 
there are cultures where this is discussed more. Um, it's just not ours or it's, it's not modern. Um, but I think it needs to change for sure. And I think we need to do it in a way that, um, can be not seen as a great disruptor, but yeah. simply a change. Yeah. I, there's a, I'll actually, I'll chuck the link to this uh, in the description of the podcast. There's a, a podcast by, um, Zoe, who are a kind of collection scientists and researchers around nutrition, but they did a podcast about menopause. Um, and the doctor that was on there talking said that menopause is a really unfortunate description and it's not really the greatest way of thinking about it. And it's better off thinking about it as a female hormone deficiency. Yeah. As a condition, it's, it's a deficiency of hormones that you've had the whole way through your life. And they have just, you know, through various biological processes, decided to downregulate quite drastically <laughs> yeah. and done it tumultuously over a period of months <laughs> and years potentially and you didn't know what was going on yeah. um, and you couldn't nail it down and, and then it finally settles and those hormones are right down and actually when you know we'll maybe chat with this later but the, like uh, hormone replacement therapy and another um, and other therapies um, around that are about really just providing those hormones mm-hmm. again um, yeah. and I would thoroughly recommend you know, if you are interested in the subject and you want to know more about the science and hear from proper doctors rather than two coaches <laughs> yeah. um, to dig into that but it is really fascinating because estrogen uh, as a hormone is involved in just about every single process within everything your, within the female body and it's that's shocking. why the symptoms are so varied <laughs> because because that estrogen's gone down all of those processes are affected and that that's why you end up with so many symptoms um and not and i suppose maybe touching as well but like the long term as well and that's the other side of things i think when you start to look into it um which becomes i imagine like when you first like when you first started reading up to how daunting was that well (laughs) uh i i minimize i didn't minimize i didn't really dig into it too hard too quick i was like oh well you know this will just pass <laughs> and then very quickly I learned, oh, this could go on for a while. It might be time to figure out what it's about. Um, <clears throat> I think some of the things that I initially read uh, scared me, like reading the average times, how many years that this could go on and thinking that if this stays at this state for that long, you know, that's just no way to live. Um, and other things, some of the long-term ramifications of that are incredibly frightening but what it led me to do was i'm generally not very confrontational um i will i will leave a room quite quickly rather than i won't even send back a meal that's wrong when they send it to me at a restaurant (laughs) i will just be like no it's fine i'll eat it um but i became a staunch advocate for my own health because it scared me and i didn't want to accept um just a generic proposal of, well, we'll do this, we'll mitigate the symptoms and then see how it goes in a couple of years. Because what I was reading was that the long-term ramifications of brain fog, which was one of my main symptoms, it's linked now through research to Alzheimer's and other 
areas of dementia in women later in life. And I was like, nope, we're not doing that. <laughs> if yeah. there's anything I can do, let's do it. And it took a while, but um, I finally found a, a physician who was willing to recommend me to a specialist. And I found a good specialist clinic through the NHS that deals with menopause and it's made a big difference. Physician for anyone in the UK is a doctor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've been going over your Americanisms recently and how you've lost a lot of them, but you still got some. You still Oops. got some. <laughs> um, I think that's really important. I think that, you know, w- whatever your views on, on healthcare in the UK and NHS and things like that, like becoming an advocate and really pushing for things is important. And if you've, if you've done your research, you know your stuff, and you've not just had a quick Google of one or two symptoms, like you've, <laughs> you, you've, and you've kind of gone through that, and you, you feel like you know that what you're being told is not what's in the best interest of both you now and you long in the future. Like being an advocate for your own health care and your own, your own well-being there is is massive. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of the NHS, by yeah. the way. I think it's amazing. Um, and I, I'm incredibly grateful to my doctor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For um, for saying that you know there are there is someone you're correct that can help that yeah. has more information on this, um, I think it was just a matter you know with everything else going on in the world right now and the <laughs> you know the priorities being where they are, there's just not enough information right now in the general population for it to be prioritized. No, but, um, and it also depends w- what training your doctors had. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, I've often talked about how depressing it is, how little education there is on nutrition within the medical community. Um, but, you know, for a condition that affects 50% of the world's population, and then it seems kind of crazy there's not a little bit more training on that. Yeah, I, yeah. And then I will say that I remember that there's so much about the human body, and it's so complex. Yeah. We do need specialists. Yeah. It just, I, there needs to be a holistic approach that involves a lot of those specialists. And that takes time and it takes resources. And that's one of the areas in which there's no place I know that's really excelling at that no. yet. But, but hopefully like, we're just, on our way. It takes your doctor knowing the route to, to go. Yeah. Um, uh, I, like I've, I've definitely heard instances of people being said that, you know, no hormone replacement therapy is too dangerous, it increases your cancer risk. But that's linked to a study from 2002, I think, that was has since been like completely negated. Yeah. And it was also misinterpreted. Yeah. They've now shown that. They, before they'd even finished the study, they said to the press. And, yeah. And since then, it's been completely disproved. Yeah. And, and pret- the, the methods were so wrong. <laughs> and it's like, it's really, it's really frustrating that a headline from a newspaper 20 years ago is still pervasive in the medical community as like gospel. Yeah. Or even if it's not in the, for those doctors who, (laughs) who do know better, you still have to overcome the, the stigma of it. Yeah. And it, it is frightening and there are real concerns with it and they're enough on their own. You don't need any additional ones. Yeah. Um, I think of it a lot like a, um, when somebody says, but weightlifting is bad for kids. I'm like, you know, that study came from workhouses in the 1920s where they looked at the effect of physical labor on kids 
who were both undernourished and overworked and said, it turns out this might not be good for their health. But someone said that it was the weight bearing portion of it. And since then, numerous studies have debunked that, but it's still something that goes around. I, I still hear that as a question from the average person off the street and I see it yeah. as recommendations online from reputable sources. Yeah. And it's that pervasive kind of thought that just lingers and it's not <laughs> it's not based on evidence and no one's thought to double check it and media outlets will just parrot it yeah um because it's negative and i think that's all that always sells a bit more i um, love ben goldacre's um bad science have you read that uh no i haven't no you can cut this part out if you don't want it <laughs> but uh, it's all about how um because a part in part because the 24 7 news cycle is needing constant input yeah. how things get put out before they're through what would normally be the proper channels yeah. and how people can release study findings before they've ever been approved because it makes a good headline and it's a really great book but it's also wildly disturbing because you're like oh yeah i remember hearing that one and thinking ooh, because when it fits what you want to believe it's yeah. great to suck it up <laughs> oh, yeah as, as as humans we we're a sucker for something that sounds logical <laughs> yeah. like, Ooh, that like sounds that. about right yeah yeah um, that fits my views i'm gonna take that one <laughs> yeah, a little bit of confirmation bias <laughs> something that you can breadcrumb your way to yeah, yeah. um now just uh like as a whistle stop tour you know you've mentioned brain fog mm -hmm. um You've mentioned like trouble sleeping, insomnia. Mm -hmm. um, can you reel off the various other of the 18 symptoms or, sure. or more that <laughs> since that you've experienced? Uh, yeah, the, the initial ones were night sweats, insomnia, um, what I would now recognize as depression, um, brain fog, physical symptoms, pain, um, soft tissue pain, um, slower than normal healing the one that really got my attention was loss of strength mm. i started physically not being able to shift the weight that i was usually quite easily able to shift wow. um some significant mood swings um and i will forever be apologizing to the kid for that um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then later things that came along that I didn't realize were connected that I do now, which is vertigo, which I'd never experienced in my life. And I hope to never experience again. That yeah. was horrific. Um, hot flashes are a thing that I heard stories of. And of course you hear, you know, they, they t talk about it and where they'll, reference it in tv shows and you're always like oh you know there's a little fan it, it is an intense horrific feeling they never say that <laughs> they're yeah. just like oh a hot flash you know in a little fanning effort there's no fanning that takes care of it you really feel like <laughs> you're burning up from the inside and it happens just like that wow um and for me i had uh, debilitating migraines ah oh, yeah and i never really had migraines so i didn't have a lot of sympathy for understanding i was like oh it's a bad headache oh no that's that's it's a whole different level <laughs> it's a whole different level that's horrible um and I, that was i think a, a big challenge for me for about two years wow it's 
really interesting because it's such an extensive list of things. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You start to feel like a hypochondriac. You're like, I must just be going crazy because certainly not all these things are going wrong. I'm just. It's, it's really interesting though, because like what, what testing is there for? Well, and, and that's a, that's an interesting thing to bring up because there are hormone panels that can be done, but they're incredibly unreliable because they fluctuate so much. The day you come in, they could catch you on an extreme that a week later would be different. So a lot of the doctors, (laughs) you're wanting to say physicians, um, even the specialists, they'll use them for a reference and they'll they'll make some decisions based off of them, but a lot of it has to be based on symptoms. Yeah, they're not going to come around to your house at 2 a.m. when you're having a hot flash and take, <laughs> yeah. your, take your estrogen to that point where it's down yeah. in the in the gutter. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, that's, you know, a wider problem with some testing methods in general, like whether it's nutritional or like, you know, you could test your blood glucose fasted, but is that a realistic of what your blood glucose yeah. usually is yeah. and i think that you know you at 3 p.m on a nat, like a sunday afternoon your estrogen might have been perfectly yeah a-okay <laughs> um but then it could be completely changing and i think that's you know uh that's a really interesting thing that there's like this condition that has no real testing for it that you could actually use as a diagnosis method other yeah. than just being like you're about the age yeah and there's also the the idea that um, it's just estrogen, but it's estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are all affected. Yeah. And depending on how an individual's body reacts, those things can be in wildly different balance from one person to the next. And if the only one of them is treated, it can throw it further out of balance. Something I heard that I was like, I did not realize was that this, uh, on average, a female holds produces three times more testosterone than estrogen that would blow my mind you always think you always think of testosterone is like oh that's the male hormone um but no um that's and and if that is going out of whack as well that's going to change you know that's going to change body composition on on a different another side in terms of your muscle as well yes physical and it's also one of the prime issues with brain fog yeah um yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a pile of weeds. This. It is, it is, and because they're just um, there's still a lot going on, and a lot of the research hasn't been done. Um, some of those treatments are still trials, and yeah. they're not fully. Um, I don't know what the term is uh, here. It what do you call it? Like approved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that that makes a big difference. Yeah. It, it's like it, it's really interesting because it's not a subject that I've dug into massively in my life as a 30 something <laughs> yeah. um, let's be honest it's here. good of you to tackle this man yeah um, <laughs> it, it's not something I've dug into much it's one of those things like you'll I don't know you'll see on a comedy show and some uh, like a, a an old lady will be having a hot flash and that's about all you really hear about the menopause as like an average average person yeah. um, that and the joke about um, mood swings yeah those are the two things that you hear about yeah and so like actually digging into it it's it seems completely barmy that the soul i don't use the word barmy very often but you know (laughs) that's a very pc barmy um uh it's it's, it seems really crazy that there's not more established research on this like you know the 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 
there's part of me that feels like if this was a condition that affected every male on the planet <laughs> there would have been a research into a lot a lot longer ago yeah i'm trying really hard not to hold that against every male i know <laughs> but the, it it leads to like a you know there's plenty of studies of testosterone in males but how many studies are there of testosterone in females comparatively and well given that there are comparatively very few studies on females for yeah. anything outside of direct reproduction and even those some of those studies from that are still referenced today took men into account and they just treated women like smaller men yeah. and said oh okay well if we adjust that this will be about right and now we know so much more and we know that it, there are huge differences yeah and we that, have to take those into account it, it just seems like in high with hindsight it seems crazy <laughs> it'd be like seeing ducks and fish and going i've taken a duck apart and it looks about <laughs> this way. So we're just going to assume fish are just the same, but a bit different. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seems, it seems completely crazy. But, it, it, you know, it's really, it seems really positive that there is more movement in this direction in the scientific community to get research done. Um, it's just a shame that it's taken so long to get started because there's a lot to do. Yeah. And that takes time. Yeah, and it takes a lot of time. And so for some of us that are here now, yeah. <laughs> or maybe not as patient as we'd like to be, but I certainly hope that it's better for the next generation. And I certainly think it's a, a conversation to be having with people before, especially athletes. Um, I'm really adamant that we need to start having this conversation with not just those that are at risk of early onset perimenopause, and that does occur, but you know, women need to know and they need to know what to look out for and how the, what the options are. And it can make such a big difference, I think. Yeah. I, I feel like that there is, you know, when you're teens, there's more, there's like the information that's given to women is about periods and about reproduction and safe sex. And then that's if you're lucky, that's if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. And then you get into your twenties and there's more information about pregnancy and you start mm -hmm. learning more about yeah. that. And then after that, you kind of, that's it. That's it. <laughs> um, but there's a whole other phase right, right around the corner. Turns out. Turns out. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So what so far um, has helped you? In part knowing just the, the knowledge that you're not going crazy or that if you are, there's a reason for it. <laughs> um, and after that, it was um, finding things that helped mitigate the symptoms. Hmm. Um, initially, those were a wide variety of different hit and miss options. Everything from um, supplements to um, personal behaviors, um, you know, not to take hot showers, that kind of thing, take cooler showers or how to try to sleep differently. Um, for me, the biggest difference has been um, medical intervention with different hormone therapies. And I'm not advocating that for everyone. I think it is really important that you get the help that you need for your individual system. But for me, it's genuinely been night and day. And do, do you, so when you started hormone therapy, mm -hmm. was it like an instant? Well, in some ways, yes. Um, some things within a couple of weeks, 
they said it would take a few weeks. Um, but some things within a couple of weeks, I noticed big changes in both for the better and for worse. Some oh, things, wow. yeah. Um, it turns out the dosage is really important. <laughs> and because there's not a lot of hard data to work off of, that's a big guessing game. A bit of trial and error. Yeah, and it can vary over time, and that changes over time. So it's a constant um, fine-tuning. Um, so my migraines got a lot worse at first. Um, the brain fog got better. I was able to sleep. So there were trade-offs. I went back. We adjusted the dosage. We adjusted different things. We adjusted the um, type or how it was, um, how I took it. Uh, there's been a lot, and I'm still in a constant state of that. And now I have a, another hormone treatment that is being added on on top of that, and so we have to fine-tune them together. Okay, so it's just finding the right the right, right ratio of everything. Yeah, and that's... for whatever period of time, because yeah. those changes just come and go. It, it feels a lot like hitting a moving target. Yeah. But it certainly um, feels manageable right now, and for a while... It didn't, so. How long have you been sort of in that process then with the hormone therapy? Well, I've been on one sort of another now for two years. And you feel, do you feel like it's getting closer to being on the right track? I do, I do. I think there's still some things that will be adjusting both for the immediate and certainly in the future as things continue to change. But um, one of the things is that depending on what your, how your body is, you can't always track where you're at. So not everybody knows if they're in perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. So those uh, amounts change significantly during that time. So if you don't have the physical symptoms to be able to judge where that's at, you're still guessing. Okay. And in terms of like working with your physician on... Uh, <laughs> he didn't use air quotes, but he made a face, people. <laughs> I did the eyebrows. Um, in terms of working with your doctor on mm -hmm. that process, is that about like discussing your symptoms and then using them using those symptoms as like a, a way to hone in on what direction to take? Yeah, and a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is based on my interpretation of how I think it's affecting it. And that is really tricky. Um, so I take notes now yeah. Um, because otherwise I'll lose track. Um, so I take notes every day about different things, where they're at so that, you know, a week or two later I can look back and be like, oh, it hasn't been, you know, three weeks that this has been going on. It's actually been two days. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I suppose like what have you you know training was a a key indicator that things weren't quite right yeah. and it was a way of like a, it was like a barometer of like mm, something's not right here um and I think that you know for anyone who you know to be honest for anyone like if you are training regularly it's usually a really good way of determining what's going on in your body because you you learn a lot more about how it should feel and it becomes very obvious when things aren't right um, in general. Yeah. I, I have to say, <clears throat> I found it extremely frustrating when I started looking into things 
because yeah. what everybody said is, oh, oh, when you hit menopause, just start lifting heavy weights. That'll make everything better. And I was furious because I've spent my life lifting weight and the thing that I loved, I felt like it was being taken from me, but everybody was saying it was the answer. Yeah. And I found myself like ranting at, no, it's not the answer. I used to do that. It's not working anymore. Somebody tell me what to do. I just, I was losing my mind. Um, and the answer is you just have to keep doing it and, and let those numbers change and then be patient to bring them back up. But it's really, it's interesting because it's being touted as the answer Mm. for a lot of things, you know, they're like the, and, and I do, I love, um, I, I love some of the, the podcasts and the data information that's out there. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dr. Stacy Sims and her mantra. I don't know if I can say this on here, but it's lift heavy shit. Yeah, if you need to cut that out, that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. I can just take the little box that says not safe for kitty winkles. And it's fine. Because there are, it, it, it affects the way the muscle um, growth that is damaged by lack of estrogen occurs. It's one of the best things that you can do to mitigate muscle loss is to continue to lift. Um, it helps with metabolism, which is another big issue. It helps with um, a lot of the, the emotional and the cognitive cognitive. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are good data scientific reasons why lifting during this time period is important. Um, I just, I felt like I wanted somebody to tell me something different because yeah. I you, felt like I was being robbed. <laughs> you were already doing that. And I think that's something that's so, uh, pervasive is that the answer is the answer for people who weren't already doing that thing. Yeah. Like if yeah. you weren't, if you were, if you were just sitting on the sofa and eaten takeaway like not good takeaway bad takeaway um like if you if you were just you know guzzling down two liters of coca-cola and sitting on the sofa any of those lifestyle recommendations would be positive in terms of your health but if you're already doing all those things and you're still getting the symptoms it must feel a bit exacerbating not being able to turn to those it was extremely frustrating um especially since I did base a lot, I do base a lot <laughs> of, of my joy out of lifting, mm. but I also definitely defined some of myself by that. And to watch that slip away was really challenging for, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, a lot of that advice also goes out to people who are very active, but like women who have done endurance sports yeah. becomes a much more important time for them to look at heavier weight resistance training right now so that they can continue to do the things that they love, but they've got to start incorporating that. I just didn't feel like there was any information out there for me. And part of it's because I was just feeling sorry for myself. But <laughs> um, once I, once I stopped having a proper strop about it <laughs> and backed off a bit, I started thinking, okay, so if I hadn't been lifting, whoa, what would I, you know, what should I be doing? And I started following it from that. Um, and it's getting better, you know. What are some of the like non-medical interventions that you've sort of tried, especially around training, I suppose, like for someone who is 
training and experiencing symptoms of the perimenopause or menopause or postmenopause, um, you know, what are some of the things that you've tried that you've had success with or, or have helped? Um, I switched things up for a bit. Um, so instead of focusing on the lifts, I've always done Olympic lifting and just not being able to do what I had done. I switched to deadlifting and squatting. I went to some quote unquote powerlifting moves. I would still consider deadlifting part of Olympic lifting, but I'd never just deadlifted. So I spent a, a big cycle um, just deadlifting and squatting and strict pressing. And I didn't do anything to do with cleaning or snatching at all. And then I didn't have that mental idea of where I should be doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I played around with running. Trying, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, I tried to get into running to do something different. Yeah. Um, I, I tried to do sp- sprint intervals, which I've done before in association with Olympic lifting, but never consistently because mm. I'm both slow and reluctant. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I've never found a love for running unless it's like a trail and I'm out in nature and then it's still probably what not what most people would call running. But I just tried to do some different things that would still hit the same stimulus yeah but that i didn't have the the mental hang-up with yeah and that sounds, was really helpful it sounds like the mental hang-up is a big part of that really because like if you've and you know if you've got a logbook of your numbers whether that's <laughs> physical or in your head and then something yeah. happens um like whatever the condition may be whether it's menopause or covid or or something like an injury you kind of have to wipe that clean a little bit either for a short period of time or just start fresh um and that's a big thing for the ego it's a lot easier said than done and it's the advice i've given people for ages yeah but man to do it and take it that took a while yeah and i still struggle with it but it's a much better i imagine that it was quite refreshing like moving away from you know the cleaning cleaning jerk and snatch are both high strength high power but they're also high skill yeah um and they can be the most frustrating Activities (laughs) Activities <laughs> in the whole world, um, and if you're on a good day with them, they can feel like the most rewarding partner you've got in the world. Um, and on a bad day, they can make you feel like the the smallest worm. Um, but then, if you're if you go through like a cycle of a squat and deadlift, it just feels like constant. You just go through the process, yeah, and you kind of switch off a little bit, and you just say, "These are my numbers for the day. I'm going to do my numbers, and then we'll move on to the next day." Um, and at the end, you're able to lift more. Yeah. And it's really simple and it rewarding. Is. It and is. There's still skill in them. I'm not saying there's not skill mm-hmm. for all you powerlifters out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there definitely is skill. Um, and there's a lot of it to get it right. Yeah. But it can be really rewarding as a departure from your usual sport, I suppose. Yeah. I also stayed away from any kind of one rep max. Yeah. I focused on a, a five three one. And, and just made it something that was, it was doable. Mm. And that was really important for me at that time because I really felt like uh, things were slipping away. Yeah. And, you know, I genuinely thought maybe it's time to take up something like golf. I don't know. And there's <laughs> nothing against golf. David Ross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
you know, it's it's not where my love is. And it no. was really hard to imagine. But I felt for a while like I was losing it. And it was going to go away and I would never have it again. And I just needed to reframe things, you know. Yeah. And in terms of, I suppose, like nutrition, hydration, is there anything in there that's that's helped you at all? Yeah, that's really a huge one. Um, I've had to, I've chosen to change my eating habits dramatically um and it's been really important i thought that because i ate um for performance that i would be fine but it changes what you can and can't tolerate your the lack of estrogen affects how you process food um i have a horrendous sweet tooth I love my desserts like nobody's business. Um, and I was always able to do them because I, I tracked my macros. I knew where I had, I ate plenty of protein and, and tons of vegetables. So I just made sure that, you know, I was eating enough in a day that I could still fit them in. Whether or not that was a smart choice is not going to be discussed right now, but I did. Smart, enjoyable. Hey. And now what I know is that when I do, and I do still enjoy um, the occasional dessert. It comes at a real cost because the my body doesn't react with insulin the way it used to. Mm. And that's one of the more common things that is across the board with menopause and perimenopause is how that affects. You have to have a lot of protein. Um, you become really sensitive to sugars. And, um, and that's something that isn't discussed very often. No. Um... It, it certainly seems like, a, a, you know, we've chatted about this whole theme of of uh, fluctuation um, and fluctuation being a big part of it. And it that's also, you know, that both the symptoms um, and also how, you know, on this on the side of nutrition, it's starting to seem from from what we've been reading that your body's ability to cope with foods that were perfectly fine for you before can change quite drastically yes. um and you know whether that's insulin response or whether that's how your gut handles it um as well which can be another side it seems um you know that can be a big thing and that's uh, you know from what it looks like that seems to be a big contributor to weight gain yes um which is a really common symptom as well like if you know starting to gain weight around the middle basically it, it, like right in the middle right in the middle like nowhere else just right there <laughs> <laughs> you're like well i'm doing what i've always done i've eaten like i've always eaten all of a sudden you look really different yeah and it's um it's pretty bizarre it's like someone's just taking your resting metabolic rate and halved it but you're <laughs> still still eating the same amount so therefore you're now you're now gaining well and the the common theory is oh eat less which is one of the worst things yeah. you can do so i um even even knowing better, <laughs> I I was working with someone who took me down to a, a really low calorie count, and it just made everything worse for a while. Um, so I came back up to what is a, um, I wouldn't say performance calorie amount, um, but something that would probably be considered more standard, mm. and that works better for me. Yeah. Is there anything in terms of like, so you said protein was a big component? Protein's um, huge. Fats? Uh, certain fats, that yeah. becomes really important. And what, as you were saying, what you can and can't digest, I react differently to vegetables, some vegetables now than I used to. Hmm. 
Um, and I just have to figure out what sits well for me and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, it's not like, you know, major allergic reactions or anything. You just start to notice that whenever you eat certain things, you don't feel as well or, you know, they don't digest as easily. It's very, um, it's a very humbling to someone who's just always shoved things in their gullet and said, oh, people are too sensitive. <laughs> Eating your okay. words. Now. Yeah, yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> so starting to round out, like, where are you at now um, on your your understanding of your own experience of, of menopause? Um, and I suppose in terms of, you know, your training and, and how, how you're kind of living with that. Um, I think I'm in a, a pretty good place with it in that I no longer think of this as the a negative thing. It's just something different that's happening and something I have to figure out how to manage. I would like it if I knew that it was a certain time frame. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, that unknowing is a little challenging, but for the most part, um, it's keeping up those habits it's really the same thing that we would tell other people to do Mm. or i would tell other people to do which is um you know even on the days i don't feel great or i don't feel like putting out a lot i'll come out and i'll go through a quick kettlebell circuit and it's just enough Mm -hmm. to keep me going and i've done something i'll feel better mentally and physically for it um i making progress again with training because I'm training smarter, not harder. Um, and I think it's just going to continue to be kind of like a a research experiment, which is okay because I used to love that. I enjoyed that part when I was in school, we did a lot of, um, I worked at the exercise Institute at KU. We did a lot of studies and I loved it back then. Um, and so I'm trying to look at it like that. It's a little less amusing when it goes awry and it's myself. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how I'm trying to approach it. I think that's a really positive way of thinking about it. Um, what would you what would you say to someone who is, you know, coming in training, say three times a week, they're coming they're doing CrossFit, um, and they are working through this process? I would say, um, come talk to me. Come talk to someone. Because the best thing I have found, I mean, I'm hugely thankful for my doctors, um, but just talking with other women who have gone through this or starting to go through this, either getting their experience or being able to just be there to listen to someone else's is really huge. Um, and it's embarrassing for, or certainly a, a source of shame, I think, for a lot of people because the symptoms are mental and physical. And I just think it's really important to find someone and be able to, to talk about what's going on and know that there's help out there. Yeah. I, I think that that's, it, it's a big, it's a big step. I think probably for a lot of people though, is to, it seems like there's also like, it's not only, it's not only the variety of symptoms, but it's also, I think the, the common thing about it being about age and aging. Yeah, there's, um, it's always been shameful to age in our recent culture. I mean, at past a certain age, women are supposed to be constantly trying to be younger. 
And I always told myself that I wasn't going to do that. I was going to age gracefully. Mm. I was going to lean into it. Well, that's easy to do until you get there. <laughs> you <laughs> like, you know, every anti-aging product that's, that's targeted to you every time there's something that says, look younger, feel younger, it makes, it makes it harder. Um, and then this, you know, yeah. it, it can really strike. And I think it's important for, I think it's important for women to talk to each other about this and remind each other that this stage is actually in older cultures, this stage was considered a breakthrough moment. This was where you became, uh, the elder matriarchal, amazing person of the, you know, the tribe and yeah. we've lost that. And I don't necessarily like ride that big flag, but <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be said for the positives that can come out of it, but we're going to have to work together to make those more notable. Wise words. I like that. I, yeah. And women should lift heavy shit. <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, if you could go back to the start of your experience with, menopause before you even knew what it was um or knew that it was something you were going through what would you tell yourself talk to your family because genetics plays a big role and i i didn't have the ability to talk to my mother to find out what she had dealt with um talk to your friends communicate on this subject and learn everything that you can because if you're the lucky person that doesn't really deal with this and, and a lot of people get through this relatively unscathed you know brilliant but it's better to know what could be there and not have to deal with it than get blindsided by it yeah and I think that's an interesting point is that not you know from from what I've read not everyone gets symptoms or 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 many like so i yeah. think that like 25 percent of people get severe symptoms 20 percent of people get no symptoms yeah. and everyone else is somewhere in between yeah um and if you don't get symptoms there's just a car rolling <laughs> makes a good sound on the gravel um if you if you don't get symptoms that doesn't necessarily mean that some of the long-term exactly uh, sort of ramifications aren't somewhere down the pipeline absolutely and there it's quite possible that the same symptoms are there but your lifestyle doesn't allow you to see it yeah um i think what was i gonna say (laughs) (laughs) i had this really clear thought and now i've lost it um yeah It's an odd thing to talk about, really. Yeah, yeah I, I think especially, you know, that, that idea that you, you know, the process is going on, mm-hmm. but you might have symptoms and that's like a canary in the coal mine. Like it, it kind of, those symptoms are a sign that there's a big change happening. Um, but they, they both, like the symptoms are the bit that you can get pre- totally preoccupied by. But actually the, you know, and that's, they can be, from what it seems like, massively life changing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. but then, like long term, like you know, one in two women gets osteoporosis, and yeah. that's massively increased by going through menopause. And whether you got symptoms or not, 
you're still in the same boat there. Exactly. Um, and so you same might... Same for the dementia Yeah, exactly. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, heart disease. Like yeah. The, the list kind of goes on, sadly. Yeah, um, this is exciting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, Back to the good stuff, come on. But, you know, in, in talking about, like, you know, there are th- there are therapies. Like, yes. Hormone, hormone therapies can be, uh, f- you know, a lot of research is pointing to them being very good hedges against those long-term elements that we're talking about not just the symptoms in the short term but the long-term elements like way off in the future that you're not even close to dealing with yet yeah um and that's i think that's a tricky one it it it, it's it's such a long process and you're kind of dealing with things you might be getting to deal with later on but it also means that like that weight training massively important Mm -hmm. you know if you want to avoid osteoporosis pick up heavy shit yeah yeah <laughs> and put it back down and then put it back down Jenna. yeah the the it's not just the research stigma on the hormones it's interesting to me the number of people that have said oh well it's just natural everyone goes through it you should be able to adapt hmm. but from a standpoint where we're of a generation where for many of us most of our lives we've been taking hormones for different things yeah. and we've been willing to adjust it there and it could have ramifications down the line. That research is still being done. But all of a sudden, at this age, we're not supposed to be treating it because it's just it's just what happens. You just get through it. And I think we have to really consider that just because we are willing to treat ourselves when we're younger in a certain way with a certain thing, it doesn't negate it being important later. This isn't coming out well. I mean, I think that what you're—it sounds like where you're getting that there. And but you know, one element is if you've been, if you've uh, been taking hormones for birth control, you might not get any of the symptoms, and it might or it might just suddenly hit. You might not get any of the warning signs um, of, of exactly. menopause, um, and it might suddenly hit. But you, you know, that process of of taking of taking birth control for all those years is hormone therapy. Yes, and it changes how your body, just like if you're taking certain drugs, your body stops producing. Like one of the issues is, you know, you'll stop making serotonin if you're taking certain um, mood stabilizers. We don't know because the research hasn't really been done. For someone who's taken artificial hormones for 30 years, how is their body going to react when it stops making it? You know, that information's not there. So we have to really, I think, readjust our thoughts on yeah. some of those treatments. And I think hopefully over the next year, five years, 10 years, those things are going in the right direction because it seems <laughs> like there's some positive trajectory there. But um, Yeah, and the other thing I would tell myself is uh, in the moment when you're in it, the idea of something being 5, 10, or 20 years seems really awful. <laughs> but uh it it will pass yeah everything does in the same way that it swings one way it could swing yep. the other absolutely yeah um all right we did a podcast have we got a mosquito oh. what are you doing with mosquitoes out i don't here? know but that's what it looked like so oh. i mean just in case maybe dave brought that back um we did a podcast way back way back when um and when we did that, I asked you a couple of questions to end the podcast. So we're going to check back in with those and see if they're the same or if they changed at all. Oh, all right. All right. So um, what are three things that make a big impact on your training? 
and health in general. The way I eat, because my sleep wasn't always within my control, I decided to focus on the things I could control and it was my food. And when I eat well, I feel like training. And when mm. I don't make great choices about how I eat, I don't feel like training. So nutrition's become a really big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find the nutrition affects your sleep at all? Probably. Probably, yeah. yeah that's, the, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's about as um, precise but as you can be. That's not, um, that's not where I notice it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we got one. Um, two is convenience. Um, you, you know, depending on where you're at in your stage of life, it might be um, a higher priority to get to the gym and see your friends and work out with people. And because I live in an area where I'm not always able to get to the gym and do a wad with my friends, um, if I don't have a clear space to work out or if I have to move something to get to it, if I have anything that impedes my way... Mm it makes it harder some days for me to get out. So my priority now is to keep a space in the gym and in the house that is clear and clean and free of distraction so that I can focus and get it in. Yeah, I think that's a really a really positive one, actually. <laughs> and it, that applies to training. It applies to so many other habits that you're trying yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Like if you can remove some hurdles to getting that habit yeah. done every day, um, yeah, that's a really powerful one. Yeah. All right, number three. Uh, acceptance. Oh. Uh, whatever I do is enough for that day. And I don't beat myself up about it anymore. I mean, I do, yeah, but yeah. I work really. <laughs> I'm having more success with not. Um, and I allow myself to, I scale all the time now. Yep. I hardly ever think about RX if it's a wad or looking at the data for what I should be hitting. Mm. Um, I, I go a lot more by feel, how I'm feeling that day. If I'm feeling really good, I'll push the numbers. If I'm not, I'll keep it to what I know is reasonable. Yep. Um, that's not the same as not challenging, mm -hmm. but um, I just, and then I'm, I just remember that I am lucky that I'm still able to do it at all. Yeah. So, and that's really made a huge difference. I enjoy it again. I'm happy to be doing it again. Where it used, for a brief period of time, I was sad because it was feeling like a chore that I didn't want to have to do, and I'd always loved it. And yeah. now I have the love again. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I think, like, I, don't know, I was having a conversation with someone today, and I, like, what it came down to is, like, you've got to enjoy it. Like, if yeah. you're not enjoying it, it's going to feel like a chore. Yeah. Chores suck. It does. <laughs> There's nothing worse than going into a, a, for lack of a better word, a globo gym and seeing people who are just ticking something off their list that they have to do. Yeah. But they just look like they're miserable. They look like they're doing their taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are moments within it where I'm <laughs> pretty <laughs> miserable and I can still whinge like nobody's business beforehand, no. <laughs> as you've heard. But um, yeah, I've just. I've been so happy after it just, it's, it's good. That's really positive. I yeah. like that. Um, what is one thing that you would like to, to implement, but you struggle to do so? 
Just one. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, just one. <laughs> just one. Oh, we're, we're pausing for this one. We're pausing for this one. Really it's am. either because you've nailed everything. Ego. Ego. Yeah. Yeah. It's ego. I have uh, long in part defined myself as being strong. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't think that I appear or perform as strong as I would like to, I can let that, um, interfere. Yeah. I and, think... I, and I'm getting better with it, <laughs> but I struggle with that one more than I would have thought. Cause I didn't really know until this, how much of my ego was tied up in it. I always thought I just did it for fun, but it yeah. really in part is how I define myself. And that's, that's an important thing to figure out. Yeah. I, that's that's a I mean that's a tricky one like whether whether it's in relation to the topic we've been discussing today or whether it's that is a, such a big dog um, <laughs> so there's a giant dog just going past and then there's also ducks that looked like they thought they might be going to take us on in a minute um they will too those runners oh they've escaped <laughs> oh are they not gun. supposed to be no. out? <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i thought it was quite idyllic um yeah like anyone who anyone who does anything identifies themselves as that person whether it's your job or whether it's your your pastime or or anything like that like you do start to define yourself as that and that you know that can be really hard when that comes with you know performance uh indicators yeah. because you can really get properly floored by not being able to hit where you think you should be Um, and like you said like not looking how you think you should look if you're that person like if i'm a strong person i should look this way if i'm a strong person i should be able to lift this um if i'm a strong person i should be able to finish this workout in this time um and those are not helpful necessarily no (laughs) like it's you know your ego can be something that can pull you through but it can also be something that pulls you down because you have this damaging sense of self that is fragile and can be rocked by not appearing to be as good as that was supposed to be um and that can be pretty pretty hard to hard to muster any sort of like defense against in the moment like if you don't make a lift that you feel you should be able to yeah but it can also i think really hinder your performance Mm. and when you can kind of let it go and just enjoy it what i found is my performance improved yeah you know i was like oh hey that was better than i expected because i was expecting so little (laughs) (laughs) that's true though like i think there's there's both a positive side to ego and there's a negative side to it like if you know on a personal level like i would see myself within the crossfit space as someone who is strong but not gymnastic and not fast and that is so damaging because it stops me progressing the things that i'm bad at because i just pigeonhole myself as like oh i'm i just do the deadlifty things and the picky uppy runny with it things um 
and not the go upside down and do handstand push-ups kind of things and the stringing together chest to bar toes yeah, to bar pull-ups yeah, there you go. getting some muscle-ups like those things you if you if you see yourself or identify yourself as one thing it can actually preclude you from getting the experiences of working on the things that are not within that frame of your ego yeah in just even just finding the joy in doing the things that you're not good at yeah because i would never consider myself a fast person i like lifting heavy things and then putting them down and i don't mind doing that quickly but only a few times yeah. <laughs> let's not push it i was surprised how much i enjoyed the open this year yeah and and when i just let go and thought i'm just glad that i can do it at all yeah and then it became fun there are points where i was laughing at myself <laughs> but then in the end you look at it and my performance was you know it's pretty damn good <laughs> it's pretty it's, damn good it was fine yeah you know it was it was fine and yeah. i'm happy with it and yeah. i'm okay with that yeah i think that acceptance is a really good 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 corner to round there we go yeah all right well we're going to finish off there um thank you so much else for yeah. for chatting for an hour and nine minutes and 38 seconds about oh my god <laughs> i know um about the menopause pre-menopause perimenopause yeah, post-menopause the whole time i know <laughs> <laughs> no it's been amazing to chat to you about it and like i think like i've learned loads through the process of both researching and then talking to you about this um and i think that as like our our coaching team has learned a lot more about this through like just starting to delve into more of the the women's health issues specifically around training and and trying to educate ourselves more about that um but also i hope that the members both got a lot out of the workshop we did but also hopefully get something out of this because it's the conversation is the biggest part i think yeah yeah i really think that is true and uh if if anyone wants to talk i think it's important to find somebody to talk to and if you don't have someone come find me brilliant all right <laughs> thanks Els. Yep. see you later guys all right